AM600KIVABQ.FM, rockoftalk.com. Thanks, everybody, for joining us for another edition of The Spirits of New Mexico with Jim Hammond and, uh, well, our new guest host, Eric Little. little music from the Outback here, Outback Hunter by John Bjork, uh, and uh, some very good down-under music as we're going to be looking at some uh, down-under wines with uh, both Jim and uh, Eric. And as always, we appreciate you guys Finishing off the week with us uh, right here in the Kiva. Gentlemen, how are you? Because we're enjoying some really uh, extremely good uh, wines. Not a big surprise. Shiraz is the is the headlight wine for uh, this particular area. It's the it's the most planted red grape there. So um, and it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Everywhere. Uh, well. In Australia, everywhere means the south and the east area. So if you look at a map of um, of Australia, I'll wait a couple of minutes while you find the map. Uh, anyway, uh, so if, if you look at it, you'll find that it's only a small portion of the continent of Australia that uh, actually is primo areas for wine growing. Certainly you have the area in the in fact, it's all coastal areas. No wine making in the outback. Okay, mm-hmm. just like that's just not a good area for for doing something uh, like those, that. Those uh, dry, sandy areas. Uh, yep, it, it was just like wi- you don't hear Don, Dundee saying this is a wine. No, yeah, yep. wild yep. medicinal plant area. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's a very strange area, and and it's a lot of of the area, and of course it's it's something that's well in the consciousness of of Australians as well as a lot of other people that know about it. But we're talking about a different area. We're talking about the 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 areas that would be in the east side, the south. Uh, you have um, Victoria. Uh, that's where Melbourne is located, and I've I've uh, taught some uh, computer science classes there. And explored the Yarra Valley uh, around there, so I had a, a good sense of what that's like, and uh, it's it, that's a, a glorious area to be in. Right above that is New South Wales, and uh, that takes you almost up to the midpoint of the East Coast, and it is mostly the, the coastal-driven areas. There are a few inland areas, uh, but those are are the exception rather than the rule. And, uh, and then there's another area right above that, uh, which is Queensland, which has just a little a little postage stamp area where, where they produce wine. So predominantly when you're looking at it, you're really looking at Victoria, North, uh, New South Wales being the predominant southeastern part. And then the south central is, uh, is, what, we, is what is called South Australia. But frankly, it's really geographically be more appropriate if you called it South Central. And there's a, if you recall the map, there's one huge gap in the in the bottom that extends way up, and on the left, on the what would be the eastern side of that is where a lot of the grape growing goes, of the area that provides almost half of the wine coming from Australia, and so that's the South Australia area, and in there, um, Shiraz is a big deal. I mean, a big, big deal. And the Barossa Valley, the McLaren Vale in particular, uh, do some of the most astonishing uh, Shiraz wines around. And and do, do be aware, when we say Shiraz, we say that specifically. It's, it, it is, you know, the title of this could be Australia Syrah into Shiraz because the Shiraz is a clone uh, that came here actually a long, a long time ago, back in the 1850s and some places earlier than that, that they started growing grapes. And they they had a real passion for the Syrah grape, clearly, since it's the principal red wine grape that they have there. And they crafted it into some the most wonderful, fruit-driven, luscious wines you'll ever taste in, in on your palate. And all, that's... Go all, ahead. I'm sorry. All Shiraz are clones of Syrah? Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. Uh, but, well, the, the thing is, if if it's not a clone, then where else would it come from? And and people did debate about that for a while. They said, well, maybe it's Shiraz. They called it Shiraz. Maybe it came from Shiraz, Persia. Mm. Uh, and in fact, until DNA analysis established that that was not the case, eh, you're wrong on that one, that uh, we, we actually found that they all came from 
definitely came from France. So the, the Rhone area is predominantly where the, the, the grape evolved and came from there. So mm-hmm. people have been using uh, cuttings from that forever. In fact, the uh, Eritage area is one of the Primo Syrah areas. Their, their wines command prices up to $150, $300 a bottle. Right. Uh, and in fact, Hermitage, uh, they always drop the H. Um, Hermitage. I, I guess you have to have it in the front there. And, and anyway, the Hermitage wines, uh, that was the first na- name they used for their, their wines that they grew in Australia. It was Hermitage. And it didn't take very long before the French got uh, heard about that. They said, no, 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 no. That's a protected <laughs> name. You cannot use that name. Call it something else. They said, okay, we're going to call it Shiraz. Well, what's not Shiraz? I, I know, it's Shiraz. Well, you're not going to allow us to do Hermitage. We're going to do, actually, I don't know how to debate wine, but whatever it was, Shiraz is, is the name they came up with. And that's probably not too surprising uh, because uh, the Semillon grape that they do grow very well there, they call the Semillon grape. So obviously... They have a different thing, a different take on things than the French. Saint so Milan. there you go. And, and of course, that certainly is true of the wines. They're big, robust, uh, just really, uh, you know, if, if you're not ready for an, a, uh, a really impressive, uh, dramatic uh, entry, then you want to steer away from these, stick with those uh, much lighter wines. But if you want something on the wild side, this is what you should be doing. Getting wild. Okay, so the the only and then the other area, of course, is the Western Australia, and one of our wines comes from there. Uh, the Western uh, Australia is really the southwest. Okay, really right down on the very end, and in in fact, if you can visualize the extent there, you might notice that there was a little bit of an extension that comes out, not really like a peninsula, more like a pig snout. Okay. I'm just being descriptive here, not saying anything about the wines that come from there. Uh, but anyway, and that particular little area, which is part of uh, one of the primo areas, is where the Market River is. And uh, in fact, that uh, that is where one of our wines come from, the Market River. Uh, last time we were there was actually, uh, we actually were in the in the Great Western area, which is below that. And, and we had a another interesting wine from there. They, they do a lot of Chardonnay out there. That's one of their big things they're known for. Uh, they don't do as much of the Shiraz, but the one we have, hmm, they should be doing more. So there's that. So uh, as far as wine production there, 334,000 acres as of 2015. And I'm sure that's over, that's probably the way things have been growing. It's maybe close to 400,000 by now. But don't quote me on that. I don't know. So, uh, as I said, the South Australia, which is where Barossa, McLaren, Vale are, that's close to half of the production ends up there. The uh, New South Wales uh, does about 10 15%, and then Western Australia, they had an 18%, but I think that's a high uh, element for that. Anyway, less production out there. But also, interesting, the, the, uh, the, the premium wines, it's a higher percentage of premium wines that come from West Australia. So this is not an area to overlook if you're checking out Australian wines. Let me just say that. That's why we're here. Just guide you around and give you some ideas about how you can find some great wines around all these places. So there's as far as what I want to do first, just cover a little of the overview of the way the Australians approach wine. Because it's a little different than some other areas you've been to. And so um, it's their Aussie way of doing things. Okay? So... That's what we're. That, that's where we're going. One of their phrases that I've always liked that I've used it when I congratulate something is "good on ya," and it's it's one of my favorite Aussie phrases because it really expresses, you know, that we're delighted that you're that you're doing good, and that's that's a cool thing. And uh, I've had a lot of mates from down there, and that was kind of their attitude, and so I, I appreciate that. Okay, so the uh, it's dominated by medium-sized uh, wineries. And also, obviously, they have some money behind it. And four major producers. The major ones, South Corp Wines, uh, BRL Hardy, Orlando Wyndham, and Mildera Blass. You may not have heard of any of those, unless you're into the wine industry like we are. But South Corp, for instance, does Penfolds, which most people have heard of, and uh, Lindemans, and Rosemount, and Wins. So those are some of the 
the premium wines that they they handle. Uh, as far as grape varietals, remember standards change from one country to another. In the old world, it's fairly restrictive of the grapes you can do, the kind of production you can have, the yields, all those kind of things. Less so in the new world, and obviously Australia is part of the new world on the southern hemisphere. So grape, uh, the, for a single variety, it has to be at least 85%. Now, a lot of places, 75% is, is all you need. That's true of a lot of the wines in the U.S. However, in Oregon, it's 85%. If you're doing a Chardonnay or a Pinot Noir, it's got to be at least 85%. So, and again, a lot of people, as a matter of practice, will do that percentages, finding that it really is is probably better on a blend to where you're really enhancing the main grape, not trying to take away some of its its uh, splendor. Mm-hmm. So, that that's the way they do that. Uh, regional wines also have to be 85%. The grapes have to come from that area, and. Uh, Blends, if it's below 85%, this is where it gets to be fun. With their blends, you have to identify all the grapes in the blend. Okay? So Cab Shiraz and and Shiraz Cab are a couple of classic ones that they do. Uh, This this would be great here if we did it in France, uh, and you had a Chateau Neuf de Pape wine, for instance, (laughs) which can have up to 13 grapes. Uh, you would need a wraparound label, probably wrapping around twice to get all the grapes in there. So probably it's fortunate that they don't do that in the Rhone Valley. But uh, here uh, you will see some fairly lengthy names, as it turns out. So I, I guess they, they love writing big, long labels. What can I tell you? Yeah, it's a big country, big continent down there. It is a big continent. It's, it's actually one of the smaller continents, but it's a big country that's also a continent. Right. So a- anyway, so. They also do some fortified wines with Muscat and Tokay. They love their fortified wines. Uh, the red grapes, of course, Shiraz is the principal one. Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, Mouvedre, Grenache, Pinot Noir. So again, with the, with the Mouvedre and the Grenache, they also do some really good Rhone blends, as, as you might have mentioned, uh, might imagine, actually. Uh, the significant blends are Cab Shiraz, Cab Merlot, GSM, and Chardonnay Semillon, or Semillon, if you want to be an Aussie. Now, again, this is interesting because for a while, Chardonnays in California, they were adding about 5 8% of Semillon. Mm-hmm. And it add, give a nice richness to it, uh, a nice flavor. That, and they don't do that anymore, which is too bad. But in Australia, they still do that. And I think it's wonderful to have that little bit of Semillon in there. It really makes the Chardonnays a lot nicer. Which is obviously the case because people buy a lot of Aussie Chardonnay. So uh, one of the things that's very different about it is terroir. Who needs it? And Australia, they have a whole different approach to it. So, you, you know, when we talked about terroir is a French term that basically identifies all the aspects of where a grape comes from, which is how, of course, Shiraz came about because it's on a different continent, on a different hemisphere. A lot of things are going to change about what the, the nature of the grape when you grow it someplace else. But in in their cases, uh, they're really looking at sourcing from different areas and using those different areas and their different characteristics, combining them together, which means you have to be really good at blending. Mm. Uh, you have to, you know, blending is part science and part art. Not uh, for amateurs, it seems like, huh? Uh, no, no. I've seen some people try to do that. And it was like, well, that was a bad combination. I think one grape neutralized the other. Uh-huh. Not good. So, oh, yeah. yeah. That, that can easily happen. So you have to be careful about that. Um, so the, the, uh, they, they, they will use separate lots of, uh, by quality level. Now, they will identify the quality level. So if it's a good grape from this area and a good grape from this area, we'll combine them together, uh, which is a, go- a good thing. And, of course, screw caps are a big deal. Both of our wines come with screw caps. In fact, um, I can't be positive about this. Uh, this is just a sense I got. When I opened the, the, the two wines, and I don't want to keep you in suspense any longer. So the two wines we have is the Miles from Nowhere. You're going to love learning about this. Uh, Margaret River, 2019 Shiraz, 14.5%, uh, ABV, really nice wine. Uh, I like this, this one a lot. In fact, I figured I would like it, so I grabbed some more. But it's, um, it has a very interesting story behind it as well. And again, screw cap, as 
Almost all of them do. Uh, it's it's a country that has devoted itself to screw cap, and it works great for them. Uh, I know some wine snobs get upset about that, but too bad. And the other one is uh, Thornton Clark's Shot Fire. This one is, is from Barossa. So th- this one, again, is from what we call South Australia. It's a 2015 Shiraz, so this one's got seven years' age on it. The other one's only three years, and just the age difference certainly is one of the factors that you look at but it's also you can also tell if you taste it you'll notice other things that are different about the the two of them both wonderful wines but very different in in the approach and and what they did with with these wines so they're um uh and again also 14 and a half percent alcohol so alcohol is about the same but one is in the central south part one is way in the west margaret river is as far west as you can get in Australia, and um, so we'll, we'll talk a little bit about more about that. So the um, bin numbers is another thing that confuses people. Uh, so they, they they do blends and bins. So, so again, a Clancy Shiraz Cabernet Sauvignon Cabernet Franc Merlot is one wine with a very long label, uh-huh. obviously. So they always put the percentages on either the front or the back label. And the, the tradition anywhere is if you're doing a blend and you're mentioning the grapes, you always do them in descending order from the highest percentage to the lowest percentage. Okay, so that gives people a, a sense of what they can expect from the wine. If it's 90% one wine, uh, one grape, that's, you can expect that to pretty much be the dominant element. So that, it kind of helps people when they're when they're actually looking at this. And then as far as bin numbers, uh, they, they identify the quality of the wine. So a Penfolds Cabernet Sauvignon of bin 407 is the least expensive. The 707 bin is the most expensive. Okay, so the bin numbers kind of tell you that. The practice of this began in the 1930s, and theoretically we think it might have been to track the wines for the, from their aging through, through blending. So it was just kind of a, a mark for, for them, but mm-hmm. they extended it on the labels. So there, there you go. So you won't see any bin numbers on these. Um, I've seen them on Penfolds and Lindemans, uh, the, the ones that, that come from South Corp, but I haven't seen them on a lot of others. So it just depends on which wines you're looking at. Okay, so West Australia region. Okay, way over in the west side here. So, so here we have the Indian Ocean dominating uh, the whole area. And uh, so the first, so, so the main town here is Perth. And most of the wine areas are below Perth itself. The one that's above it, Swan uh, Valley, is where they first started planting things in 1829. Wow. Okay? That was a while ago. So that they, they were planting grapes there. There was it's probably a, still a prison colony at that time, weren't they? Uh, I don't know if, if I, I think it was more on the east side that most oh, of the prison okay. colonies. Oh, that's right. Okay, uh, but they, it could, could have been on the west side. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm I'm not sure exactly about that. Of course, it's kind of like a prison again. Yeah, but, it's probably uh, worse now. Uh, but anyway, uh, <laughs> sorry, that just slipped out. The wine show. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so this is the hottest wine region in Australia. So a lot of people here, after they started making their wines and having the challenges that they did with being in a hot climate, they said. I think we're going to go a little further south, uh, which in this case means you get get to a cooler area. Remember, this is everything is reversed here. So right now we're we're in their their late summer there. Wouldn't you like to be there now in the late summer? Maybe. Anyway, uh, so so everything is is reversed. Perth Hills is is a is a better area, and, and this one is just to the east of the city of Perth on the on a higher elevated escarpment. Uh, so again, the extra ele- elevation helps. The next area is uh, Geograph, which is an interesting name for a, a region. Their uh, trademark is they say one long sweeping bay that hides many treasures. Uh-huh. That that sounds very much like a marketing term, doesn't it? It sure does. It, it is. Well, Makes anyway, we want to drink wine. Exactly, with that cool breeze going. <laughs> uh, so, cooled by the afternoon sea breeze, the region enjoys a long and stable growing season. Uh, perfect for Shiraz, Semillon, and Sauvignon Blanc. And it's interesting that it, it would be Semillon and Sauvignon Blanc. They, they, they must have, early on, I haven't read the history on this too much, they must have had a, some real um, 
love affair with that particular grape that they grow it in so many different areas and do really nice versions of them. Uh, it's one of my favorite wine grapes, but you it's, you see very little of it planted. It's not exactly a rare grape, but it's you won't see it a lot of places. So, mm-hmm. which is t- too bad because I've seen some really good single variety versions of that grape. Other than Sauterne, which is the principal grape for Sauterne. Okay. That's where you see that most often. Oh, I see. Yeah. Um, and, of course, then we're, they're using the botrytis and, and doing other things. Okay, Margaret River, since this is where this one comes from. As I said, this one jumps right out there. It's got like this, it's like this rectangle that just extends right on the end of the, the land there. It's, again, the, the westernmost element of it. Obviously, it's going to have a Mediterranean climate. Uh, well, we, it can't be Mediterranean. It's an Indian climate. Indian. But, yeah, you know, it's, it's that, that's the technical term that they use. Uh-huh. And uh, so, anyway, uh, it has every Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, Semillon, Sauvignon Blanc, Chenin Blanc, Chardonnay, Syrahs. So, so Syrahs is kind of a, a minor one there, but you can still get some really good Syrahs there as well. Uh Again, cool climate Syrahs, this is where it would benefit. In fact, this has some characteristics of what I would call a, a cool climate Syrahs, and uh, really nice. It's uh, also known as, as a primo surfing capital. They have 75 breaks over its 130-kilometer coastline. Oh, boy. So if you're into surfing, you can do some wine tasting. and Well, I would do the wine tasting after the surfing, quite frankly, <laughs> but, you know, that's kind of fun to combine the two. <laughs> Another area that you, you'll probably see some of, you know, I try to cover these areas that you're probably going to see on a label somewhere. The other one is Pemberton. That's just below and to the east of Margaret River. Also, obviously, has a lot of influence from the, the, the ocean. And uh, they, that was established in 1913. But in the 80s and 90s, they really took off and started doing some quality stuff. Well, a lot of areas around the world, globally, we're starting to see that beginning in the, in the mid-60s all the way up where a lot more people were excited about wine. Uh, so this is something you would expect to see almost everywhere. Demand goes up. People uh, want more quality. They get more quality. It's kind of a nice thing. And then the last one, which is all the way down at the, the southernmost extension of it, and it's a big area, 200 kilometers uh, from east to west and about 100 kilometers from north to south. That's the biggest uh, wine region in Australia. So they, they do just about everything there. They are definitely known for their Rieslings. In fact, their Rieslings can last for, can be aged for 10, 20 years. Wow. Uh, so they, they make some really awesome yeah, Riesling is the other great grape I've seen there I don't get nearly enough Riesling from Australia uh, and I would like to see more of it but anyway uh, so anyway this is uh, Cab, Pinot, Syrahs, Malbec almost anything you can imagine and we had did do a, a, a wine from there before this has five sub-regions too so it's even though it's as big as the area of it you would expect it to break it down into different areas Okay, so that's what we're looking at there. This is a Miles from Nowhere 2019 Margaret River, 14.5% ABV, $12.99 at Total Wine. This is a really good buy, I'm just telling you. Uh, for that price, well, I bought extra. <laughs> Not just for the show, I said, no, I think I should get a couple more bottles of this. And it really is quite an exquisite wine. It's uh, almost got a little bit of a claret style. I'm, I'm just tasting it now because we opened it up not that long ago, um, and uh, so it's still opening up. Both of them are. We double decant all our wines, of course, so that we get them, give them at least uh, 40 minutes of breathing time. Um, but beyond that, it's just the natural breathing of it. And so at this point now, oh, let's see, we're a little bit into hmm, about almost an hour. It's been about an hour, yeah, yeah. real close, yeah. yeah. About an hour, so uh, I, I'm getting a lot more out of it. I, I don't know if you tried it. Definitely with the the road miles from nowhere. Yeah, I did. I finished my glass. I'm on the next one, and it's it's uh, yeah, it's opening up really sweet as well. Yeah, yeah, very very nice wine. So anyway, this one is uh, a great uh, label, right? Almost when you see a label like that, miles from nowhere. I bet that's an Australian wine. <laughs> they they like their interesting labels, <laughs> and that's absolutely true. And of course, they all have a story as this one does too. So if you look at their website, Ford Miles, a nice website, you should check it out. Um, 
Founded in 2007 by veteran wine producers, Miles Nowhere's dedication to the Tate family's patriarch arrived in Australia from the Ukraine over 100 years ago and felt every bit miles from nowhere. Uh, I'm sure he did. It was like, where the heck am I? So that's what they put on their label. Uh, of course, a lot of people in Ukraine right now probably would like to be somewhere else than where they are yeah. uh, with all the craziness that's going on there. And maybe even some Australians, too, would be yeah. Yeah. miles from there. Yeah, would that's, rather be miles from there. Yeah, true, true enough. So anyway, uh, Franklin and Heather Tate are the, the founders. They've been working in the wine industry for a long time, since 86. And... Uh, they, 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 you know, they, they called it what, uh, Miles from Nowhere to honor their their predecessor and also to express their, their love and passion for this particular area, the Market River. Uh, their current uh, director of winemaking is Farike Perrin, uh, and uh, she has 22 years experience. I, I love one of her quotes. She said, quote, I, I would like the wines I make to create occasions for passionate conversations, new friendships, and sheer enjoyment. In addition, no great wine is made in the cellar doctoring mediocre grapes, which is, you know, so she's basically saying, like most people do, is, is wine is made in the vineyard. And that's absolutely true. Mm. So uh, most winemakers would probably pretty much agree with that. And it de- definitely, uh, we started sipping that here and we started getting into some passionate conversations. We did. It so was she working. was absolutely right about that. Passionate <laughs> conversations. We were making some good friends and it's it's serving its purpose for sure. And we're just totally enjoying it. Mm-hmm. That was, that was, a, that seemed like the most important one. We're totally enjoying yeah. it. These, okay. these are both very enjoyable wines. So 2019 vintage, uh, again, Venice is is uh, critical in old world more than other areas because it's challenging to grow grapes in a lot of places there. But even anywhere else in the world, different vintages is going to have an effect. And of course, knowing the vintage also tells you how old the, the wine is, which is a good factor. So in this in this vintage here, they started uh, uh, later than usual picking the reds uh, in, in in April and early May. Again, remember we're reversed here. So this would do the lower average than average temperatures during the, the month prior to harvest. The mild and cooler weather was quite beneficial to the ripening process of the reds, a long, a long stint of tannin ripening, one of the most balanced fruit from the various sites across the Margaret River wine region made the, uh, make the cut for this blend. Crushed, distemmed, and stainless steel with gentle maceration techniques for perfect color extraction. Pressed off skins before completion of primary fermentation. So what does that mean? Basically, is in other words, we didn't want to get too much extraction from it, and we didn't get too much of the tannin because that comes from the skins, uh, and before we finished the the fermentation to get it. To, in other words, to achieve a soft and balanced tannin profile, which they certainly did for a younger wine. It, it definitely has that. It was a uh, after fermentation, it was matured in French oak for 12 months. Uh, so, again, you don't have aggressive oak going on here, but you have enough to pr- provide a nice maturing of the wine. So, for a three-year-old wine, uh, as big as this one is, that's pretty impressive. Uh, and, and and as we know, after it's opened about an hour, it's, it's very expressive and wonderful. So... Yeah, take your time for sure. That yeah. goes with anything, though, right? Any wine you want to taste. You oh, it's, it's, it's just take your time with it yeah. if you want to enjoy it. Right. Yeah. So Beverly Dynamics of Australia, uh, uh, not of Australia, but they were talking, Beverly uh, Beverage Dynamics have been doing a lot of wine tasting over a while. So anyway, the powerhouse of a wine with an intense nose and palate dominated by rich cherry and plum flavors. flavors. They are joined by a complex medley of pepper and spice notes. I get more white pepper than, than black pepper, but that's just me. Combined with with a smooth texture that brings it all home, ninety two points. And I would I, I would give it ninety two points. I, I I think it pretty much earns that. Uh, so anyway, that's one of our wines. The other one is coming from the South Central area. So you have a long area of coast you'd be going on in the south of Australia before you would encounter the next area where a wine growing area. And like I said, this particular area here is in what's called the Gulf uh, St. Vincent. And uh, it's actually part of the major um, bay, I guess you would call it. So the predominant part is Spencer Gulf. And there's an ex- uh, a peninsula 
that kind of hooks out, uh, kind of looks almost like the the Italian boot. How did that get over right. there? Yeah. Uh, anyway, <laughs> and then on the other side, the Gulf of, of Vincent, right in the center of it is where Adelaide, the city is. Beautiful uh-huh. city. Uh, one of the definite tourist attractions. And right above it is the Adelaide Plains. And then a little bit to the east of that is the Barossa Valley. Mm-hmm. And next to that is the Eden Valley. Now, I mentioned two of those together because the second one we have is actually source grapes from those two areas. And that's right above the Adelaide Hills, which, as you can guess, is the hills above Adelaide. What a surprise. They actually <laughs> do something that makes sense. And then just right below the Adelaide uh, Hills is a very small area called the McLaren Vale. And that is another primo area. So, uh, in fact, that, that, that's where one of uh, Eddie's favorite wines come from, the Molly Docker. Mm-hmm. They have a, a, in fact, the, the one he likes, the boxer that we did on a show in June of 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I didn't know that from memory. I had to look it up. Anyway, I, 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 did, I know we did this once. And so anyway, so we, we did that one then, and that's a, a very good one, McLaren Vale. And then just real, just below that, the, the peninsula that extends out is the Southern Florey. And then just beyond that, it, it uh, comes very close to Kangaroo Island. Uh-huh. And guess what flourishes on Kangaroo Island? Grapes. <laughs> well, I guess there's some grapes there. Yeah, I, I guess there were some grapes there. Uh, and also the kangaroos, because they love grapes, as it turns out. Oh, okay. So, that figures. Yeah. So they, they actually have to put barbed wire up to keep the, mm. the uh, kangaroos out. Yeah, I can imagine. Unless they want a wild-caught uh, kangaroo, and no. then they can just grab them off. The, anyway, uh, so <laughs> the Barossa Valley uh, is uh, synonymous with great Syrahs. I mean, when if you see Barossa on the label, you already know it's probably 90% of the time it's going to be a Shiraz anyway. Very warm-growing region, 38 miles north of Adelaide. Uh, they, if you get higher up in, in the mountain areas there, it, it's cool enough that you can have some really excellent Riesling as well. Mm-hmm. So, again, everything is, is based on where you sight thing. You don't want to put uh, a Riesling down in a hot climate. It's like friends that came from Germany. You don't want to put this in a really warm area. Right, it's yeah. just not going to like it. So anyway, Adelaide Hills, as I mentioned before, this is a, a cooler climate area. Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc, and Pinot Noir are the principal grapes there. Again, the cooler area, that's what you would kind of expect. And again, the, the McLaren Vale is, uh, has achieved a lot of fame of recently. Um, again, Mediterranean climate and also very good Bordeaux blends. And uh, so anyway, that's pretty much the area there. The uh, the wine again is a Thorn Clark Shotfire Barossa Shiraz, 2015, 14.5% ABV, 22.99 at total wine. And friends, that is a really good price for this wine too. Uh, I actually like both of them for for different reasons. I, I would say probably for just sheer lushness and and passionate fruit, you would probably want to go with with a Shotfire, uh, but both are really good. I would try them both, and and so you can see two distinctly different ways of approaching the grape. Uh, so this, the family actually has been in process since the 1870s. So they're one of the older families there, the Thorns and the Clarks. One side founded a gold mine, the other side farmed and 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 uh, grew grapes. Oh. So about 100 years later, they all got together and and started working on things. And in 1998, they did their first release of their wine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so before that, they were actually growing the grapes, and other people were using their grapes and making great wine and getting lots of awards. And like a lot of, and this is not an unusual story, like a lot of farmers, they realized, you know, the money is not in the growing grapes, it's in the making the wine and selling it. And since our grapes are doing so great with everybody else, we should be able to do this. All right, yeah. And so they did. And they have. They were right. It's a gold mine of another kind, huh? Exactly. Exactly. One that hopefully doesn't pan out. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, so the, the this particular wine comes from three different vineyards. And again, if you look at the, at the, the, the website for them, it's really, uh, it, it's very informative. And they, 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 they have wonderful pictures of the vineyards and the areas. I, I mean, you really learn a lot about the winery and the, and the kind of wines that they make from that. So the first one is the Milton Park Vineyard. 
So this is uh, in Eden Valley, okay, right next to Barossa, and it has elevation of 330 to 400 meters. Uh, so that's about 1,200 feet. And it's uh, about that 100 hectare vineyard, so that's about 260 acres or something like that. I can't do the math for you right now. Shiraz, Cabernet Sauvignon, and Merlot uh, cited here. Maximum fruit exposure to the autumn sunshine. Uh, the Petit Verdot blocks were chosen for their lower levels of direct sunlight. Positioned among other world-renowned cool climate Shiraz producers, uh, again, so this this is a outstanding area for growing this kind of fruit. The Cabaninj Vineyard is in contrast to Dean Valley, is a smaller 33 hectare area, and it's on the Barossa Valley floor. Okay, very intense, 270 meters above sea level. It's a dark gray, dark brown, carbonaceous soil known as the Bay of Biscay. Uh, red grapes ripen easily. So they, they do monitor the social levels to limit the yields. Again, when you get into a warmer area like this, it's a, if you just crank the water, you'll crank up the amount of yield you'll have. But then you have big grapes with not as much flavor and distinction as is if you make them work hard. This is what you do. The, the grapes that work the hardest mm-hmm. are the ones that taste the best, mm-hmm. okay? So it's just that's just, just a, a basic rule of thumb. Keep them on the verge of, of drought, huh? Yeah. If you can. Yeah, not not too far. You want you don't want to get too too far over, but you know, and, and that's why monitoring that goes on. And in fact, there's a lot of monitoring devices you can buy now. You just set them oh. in the soil. They'll give you the soil information oh, that's fed great. back, yeah. so that that makes it easier. And then the last one is Saint Kit, uh, Saint Kitts and Truro Vineyards. Again, cooler with lower rainfall uh, than the Cavendish areas. This is in northern Barossa uh, Valley, 103 hectares, uh, 380 to 410 meters. Uh, so this is the microclimate itself, they say, uh, uh, restricts the yields. Uh, and the thin, moderately developed soils overlying marble schist, the Truro Volcanic. Obviously, that must have been a small volcano there. And the Heatherdale Shale uh, mean that you have to select exactly where you're going to put the grapes because of the different impact both of those areas have. So, again, it requires someone with knowledge about the kind of soil, the conditions, to find the, the right grapes and the right way to do them. So, they's, this uh, and, and Shiraz is particularly well suited to this environment. So, the winemaker notes here, deep red with purple tints, on the nose, rich and concentrated dark fruits with chari oak and mocha notes. The palate shows dense plum and mulberry, with dark chocolate and savory oaken tannins. Well, you really want to eat this stuff, don't you? I sure do. Ah, um, boy, yeah. Wine is intense, balanced, and shows great length on the palate. It absolutely does. Uh, wine and spirits uh, take on it. The Clark family farms 670 acres of vines in Perosa, Eden Valley, which provide most of the fruit for its, its wines, including this blend from three vineyards. Shotfire isn't particularly complex, but it's satisfying, and it hues to a classic profile of Barossa Shiraz. I would say it's got more complexity than that, but that's me. Uh, with sense of baking spices against earthy red fruit, uh, this feels markedly cool and brisk, and I don't get that either, but they gave it 92 points. Yeah, it's really good. You know, it's a, it's it's far more complex than I can almost comprehend. Yeah, well, yeah, it, it, everyone's take on this is different. One of the reasons I mentioned more than one uh, wine critic is that you can say, wait, wait, were these two guys tasting the same wine? Mm-hmm. Well, they weren't. They were tasting a different version of the same wine right. in different locations and different locales with different wine palettes. Everything else was going to be different. So uh, you're going to get that. And that's true here. Anytime you t- take a wine, you you can take four bottles of a wine. You, you open one, you enjoy that. A week later, you open another one because you really enjoyed it, and that would taste different. Mm-hmm. Everything else has changed. It's a, it's a, a different week. Weather could be different. Your emotional attitude could be different. Right. Your taste palate could be different. The food you have it with could be different. Mm-hmm. So the, the one thing to be aware of is wine is always changing. And that's part of it. It's wonder, I think, is that it's always going to be different. And it says, well, I'm getting different things this time. Wow. Still good wine, but it's tasting a little different to me today. So that's not unusual. So anyway, some other little things you sh- should know about this is uh, – is already mentioned about the 
the, the barbed wire fences because kangaroos really enjoy these things. And uh, I'm sure they munch a lot of it, too. It's got to be uh, a high fence, I'm imagining, because yeah. a deer fence is 8, 10 feet already. Yeah, yeah. And they're not as good jumpers, I would assume, as a kangaroo. My gosh, you might have to put a whole dome of chicken wire or something. Huh? <coughs> could could be. Box wines represent 60% of all locally sold wines. Okay, They love their box wines here. In fact, there's been a lot of complaints about the fact that people are buying their three and five liter uh, box wines and sucking down too much of it. Um, but that's a different story. They also have a thing called stickies. These are the sweet wines uh, made with to- toque, uh, late harvest, uh, also using the muscadel grape or muscat. So the the sweet wines they also enjoy, but they call them stickies. Stickies. One last little thing for you. This I love this. In the 1873 Vienna exhibition, the French judges tasting blind praised some wines from Victoria, but withdrew in protests when the provenance of the wines were revealed on the grounds that wines of that quality must clearly be French. Right. Does that sound like shades of the Judgment of Paris in 1976? Yeah, I think they've had this attitude for a while. Oh, but boy. There you go. How dare they? Wow. Okay, so one more topic I wanted to cover if we had a little bit of time. And this is because it's cork versus screw caps. Both of these wines had screw caps. As I said, predominantly that's what they, they've really committed to this in Australia. And I guess once a trend like that starts, it just continues and, and goes. But there's a lot of reasons why what they've said is, is, was actually valid. Now, one thing I will mention about this, when I opened these two wines, they're both screw cap. The, the Miles from Nowhere had a standard one on it. When I opened the shot fire, and obviously they had designed these to, to uh, since they uh, put both of them out around the same time, and this was a lot more aged, they wanted to make sure it had guaranteed the age. So the when I opened the screw cap, I got a little popping sound, and it looked, from what I can see in the inside, that it, 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 it might have had a, a minimal release oxygen set up in it so that it would be naturally aging over time. And because uh, it, it, it definitely is tasting like a well-aged one as if you'd had an oak. And uh, in fact, I've, I've tried, I've had examples of aged wines in both cork and, and in screw cap. And in most of the times we like the screw cap one better. So there you go. Mm. Anyway, so this, uh, if you look at the, the, the two of them, some of the, the pros for cork is it's a natural renewable resource, historically preferred, of course. Most people expect to have the cork. Long-term aging proven, okay? Some of the cons, expensive two to three times what the closure of a screw cap costs, mm. okay? So that is passed on to you when you buy a bottle. Mm-hmm. One to 3% affected by TCA or what we call cork tank. And again, this comes from the, the, the fact that they clean it with chlorine to get rid of the bacteria. If they don't get rid of all the bacteria, the chlorine, those two elements together, when they're combined with, with uh, the aspect of the, of the wine itself, cause this cork taint. If you're not familiar with that, it basically makes the wine smell and taste like old moldy newspapers. Okay, this is not a pleasant thing. It doesn't go away. You can't decant it to get rid of it. It just gets worse, actually. So once this contamination starts in an area, it can really travel around. It doesn't even, sound like it'd be even good for cooking, huh? Well, I don't know. You might use it for cooking, but if you had a $100 bottle of wine mm. that had cork tank, I would bring it back to the winery and get a refund. Right. <laughs> I wouldn't use it for cooking oil. No, really wouldn't. And again, because of that, uh, you would expect most, uh, almost any winery you went to, if it, if they had the cork tank, uh, you bring the bottle back to them. They'll they'll give you another one, or or your refund, whichever you want. Um, so anyway, limited resource, a variable quality. Uh, if you have a cheap wine with cheap cork, you have bad results. Okay, so it, it, it makes the bad even worse. So that that's another thing. So. Um, and, and natural cork breathe at variable rates, so you can't always predict exactly how much oxygen ingress you'll get, which if you have just a small little bit over time, it basically permits a, a, a gradual 
uh, and nice aging of the wine. Uh, if you have too much, of course, you can oxidate the wine, and then it's kind of ruined. Mm-hmm. So it's it's kind of a balancing act. Uh, so the, the the screw cap came out in 1964, and as I said, Australia has been doing a heck of a lot of it. And uh, the, part of this came about in the 1980s when the quality of the cork was really decreasing. I guess they were trying to produce too much and cranking it out too fast. Uh, what, whatever it was, we were getting more cork tank because I, I remember in that during that period of time I did get a couple of bottles like that and I haven't seen it much since then so uh, it, it depends and a lot of them just use high pressure water instead of chlorine so they don't have that element mm. to, to be a problem uh, but you also pay more for that mm-hmm. so you got to factor that in so this is a more affordable option you don't get any cork taint obviously uh, long-term studies have all shown very positive results for it as, as I mentioned uh, obviously, easy to open. It was like you forgot your your uh, corkscrew. No problem. What you need is a little twist, and there you are. And uh, it it also means that you can close it again more easily, mm-hmm. and you don't have the headspace you typically have when you cr- try to cram a cork back in mm-hmm. that really doesn't want to go that far back in the bottle. Mm-hmm. So there's allowed. Uh, so some cork cork alternatives don't breathe, uh, although cork doesn't breathe on its own either it needs help but nonetheless uh that can be a a problem although it didn't impact our three-year-old uh miles from nowhere and you can also get uh you can also get these that have the oxygen ingress already planned as i said i haven't verified that with this but that little that i got when i opened it suggested that they did have some uh trapped in it because it aged really nicely for seven-year-old wine with a screw cap, this one is just doing bonkers. So if you have some hesitance about getting a wine with a screw cap, don't. They're wonderful. If you have a, a wine snob that will turn his nose up at a, at a screw cap, put it in the carafe. Okay, and they, they won't know the difference anyway. So, <laughs> Or they may just have a lot to learn, huh? That's also possible, yes. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, there, there's there's no room in the world for a, a wine snob. You just enjoy the wines and you share wine. That's the whole thing. Uh, wine always tastes better when you share it with friends. Uh, when the wines we're enjoying here, I'm sure they're tasting better if I was just there by myself and just had no one else to talk to and and just say, "What'd you think of this?" So that's one of the wonderful benefits of wine is it does help bring people together, and uh, it's a great thing to share with food. So there we are. And here we are sharing sharing our food, sharing our drink. I'm having a great time. I'm enjoying myself. Wow. Oh, yeah. You all need to get yourself some, just go out and experiment. Get some Australian wine. Give it a go, as they say, right? No, yes. Uh, Give it a go. So after that pregnant pause, <laughs> we're, we're actually going to uh, close down here in, in a second, but um, Eric has, has to, to run in and start the, the closeout on, on this. And so, you know, he's, he's gone from his chair of enjoying the wine and the cheese with us. We actually really good cheese here. Uh, we actually had two different cheeses. Uh, we had a, uh, we still had 10 minutes yes, to go. Sir, yeah. You guys still have 10 minutes to go. You're I kidding. Thought, no, I flashed that in there. In fact, uh, well, wow. It's, it's yeah, it looks it's, like uh, 51 minutes, 40 seconds. Well, right. darn. What are we going to cover next? Then? I don't know. You guys want to cover my thoughts on the uh, two wines? And then sure. uh, let's yeah. talk no, about yeah. uh, breaking out into spring and the revision of uh, Jim's book for Wines of Enchantment uh, as well. All right. So we had two great wines. I actually helped pick them from the standpoint that I just wanted... The, uh, I, I like the Barossa. I love the um, McLaren Vell. Uh, obviously, the Molly Dukers, big deal. And then uh, look at uh, Jim. He goes and he outdoes himself yet once again with two opaque, well, one opaque and the other uh, wine, uh, very steep, 14.5%, um, if you will, hotness on uh, heat on both of those. But both great wines. Uh, the first one, uh, the name of it again is? Miles from Nowhere. 
Miles from Nowhere. Loved it. I thought it was very good. Loved the nose. Thought the nose was actually better than the second. And um, had a lot of depth. I think I rated it uh, about a 93 through 95 out of 100. Uh, 8 out of 10. I thought it was very solid. And then in terms of the value, this is a 10 out of 10. I believe it's 12.99. Is that correct, Eric? That yep. is correct. Yeah. Twelve ninety nine for this wine, folks. Uh, yeah, miles from nowhere. It's an amazing wine, uh, as uh, Jim has already indicated. Uh, literally miles from nowhere. It's on the coast, and it's a fantastic wine. And this is a young one, uh, only a few years old, or a few years young, I guess you would say, about uh, three years. Probably only been out for maybe at most a year, and you can pick it up at um, Total Wine. And Total Wine is great. Uh, Jim, I'm not going to knock it. I like it because of the selection and all the, re the rest oh, yeah, of the stuff. Oh, yeah, that's one of the reasons I, I go there. I said, gee, I, I should tr try something from, you know, I wanted to do some Shiraz, so I checked to see where, where they had ones. Uh, and I said, well, you have a Margaret River. Oh, great. And let me just, and for a lot of you guys out there, let me qualify this. For those of you who are looking to try and ship wine, uh, you're stupid. Don't try to do it. Um, during the summer, you don't know if you're going to get through a couple of different hot areas. It takes all the two to three hours if uh, wine is holding any place at any time. Um, you got to get from uh, uh, people who are you're on your you know actual you know wine calling list. So that means you'd have to have visited the winery and then they'll send it to you at a certain time to guarantee it. But total wine, I mean, you can take it back, and that's the great thing about that place. It's like, uh, hey, the wine's a little off. I'm not very happy about it, and then you can send it back. So um, one of the things is you want to buy wine in person might be able to try and shift it and and a lot of people are trying to shift to so naked wines uh i've got the mailer uh-huh and it's like i don't know what is it 12 wines for 150 bucks i'm like i'm not gonna do that i don't even know how good the wines are you mm -hmm. could get 150 dollars worth of crap mm -hmm. you know out of 12 wines you might think you're getting a good deal oh, 12 wine. like not every wine is the same so i think that that's an important uh piece in all this unfortunately mm -hmm. Um, you'd miss out on a wine like this because this is very likely not one of those that subscribes to a place where they just need to crank out the wine um, in a, a large number. So the Miles from Nowhere, great buy at twelve ninety nine, And oh, yeah. uh, the Aussies mm. and the Spanish, I think they probably have the uh, highest impact um, or I, I guess highest value per dollar, right, or per ounce. As I was telling Eric, it's like, oh, 50 cents an ounce. I'm like, that's pretty good. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's, that's really good. A buck, uh, a buck every couple of ounces. Uh, you're talking about two bucks for a four ounce pour, which is generally what you'd get in most uh, restaurants if they were open. And when they are open, uh, that's generally what they pour. And then the second one, the nose was off for me. I was not uh, excited about the nose at all. I made a funny remark to these two gentlemen, not uh, ripe for air, by the way. I cannot say that on the air. But uh, nonetheless, I, I did uh, comment to both of them like, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't generally have this, but. Man, that wine, layered, sophisticated, depth, 9 out of 10, uh, give mm -hmm. it 95 to 97. That wine aged, uh, in this particular case, as far as the Aussies are concerned, on the screw cap, 7-year-old uh, over a 3-year-old all day long. You know, knows, oh, yeah. how, knows how to run the track and uh, knows what it is. Uh, what's the name of that wine again? That This one is uh, is from Thorn Clark. It's Shot Fire, Verosa Shiraz 2019. Yeah, that wine, uh, 2015, right? Uh, 2015. Correct. Yeah, 2015. Yep. Okay, yep. so the one's 2015, the other one's 2022. Folks, you can't get much better than that. Uh, and I would say spend the extra money on the shot fire. The shot fire is what, 23? Yeah. Is that 22.99? Is that what it is? Yep, exactly. Yeah, there it is. So uh, I would uh, highly recommend that. Go pick it up at Total Wine. We will no doubt be checking the uh, shelves over at uh, Total Wine and notice that you'll be consuming everything that we recommend as usual absolutely yeah we, but, but, we love that you buy local and i know uh, kevin's a big buy local guy but i'm going to just tell you you got to satisfy yourself at this point i mean it's a crapshoot and dollar per dollar you don't really care where you get it at this point i think uh given the uh post amazon world right is that is that fair to say <laughs> yeah the post amazon world would be one way to express it yeah everyone buys the well and and that was obviously um really pushed up with the with the COVID stuff and p people not even wanting to go to a, a store uh and getting things online now the couple of things about on, online if i can get the wine locally i want to get it locally without without doubt every once in a while i'll see one that's really exquisite there and i'll be like oh i can't get that local they they say they can't even get it 
and it's, I can get it online and I can get it for a ridiculous price, I'm not going to pass on it. I'm going to get it, okay? I've, we've actually done a couple on the show that were done online. However, we did them when they shipped them in the wintertime uh, or the very early spring. Yeah, when you get into uh, the summertime and part of the autumn, you have to be very careful about shipping. The quality of the shipper is, is the main thing you should look at. Not what it costs for the wine, the quality and the reputation of whoever the online guy is. That's really critical. I've, I've had, I've mentioned this on the show before, I had a case of a Grand Reserva Rioja mm. that was stuck in the warehouse all weekend and they put it in the truck in the middle of summer when it was 110 degrees in the truck and I got it at yep. eight, seven o'clock at night. All the corks were pushed ruined. up, the wines ruined. were ruined. Uh, uh, it was like, even though I wasn't gonna pay for it, I was heartbroken. That was 12 wonderful bottles of wine yeah. that were ruined, so. And the, the shippers don't care. No, no, you gotta, no. You gotta be careful about shipping, trying to buy it local, and yeah. the thing is, is Total Wine isn't gonna put something else out on the shelves that isn't um, any good. Absolutely. Um, let's uh, review the latest periodicals since we have the, I don't know, what do we have, the last, um, Last three and a half minutes. Yeah, we still have three and a half minutes. And you guys have a tough time filling time over here. I've been uh, talking too fast. I'll talk slower next time. Uh, the Wine Enthusiast has their latest issue. You can, of course, uh, pick that up at uh, any great uh, wine store. 13 of our favorite wines for $10, folks. 13 mm. of our favorite wines. They have the Amalaya, which is a white salsa. Vivino, uh, wine.com. You can pick that up there. Chateau Chez Michel. Sauvignon Blanc, as always, a classic, right? With these salad, like berries, uh, you know, good stuff. Uh, they have the Quattro Rayas, uh, the Bordejo. We've had a couple of Bordejos out of uh, oh, yeah. Spanish. Uh, uh, Ten bucks, always good. Mm-hmm. Let's see, a Western Cape, uh, Australian wine, a Pintoage. Uh, uh, Ten bucks out of Fair Valley 2018. Let's see what else we got. Uh, also, Head Snapper. What a great name. Chardonnay. <laughs> Monterey <laughs> County, the uh, old Head Snapper coming in mm-hmm. at uh, winesearcher.com. And then the Ryer Estate. The cab at ten bucks. The full-bodied wine, Marshall's generous black fruit and oak spice flavors. Uh, let's see, gourmet traveler wine. Uh, great write-ups uh, there. Best Buy wines from Australia and abroad. You have a number of uh, vintners who are uh, paying attention there. Uh, the the wine that they called out was the 2021 Spetsfield Barossa Nero de Ol uh, Davola. That's at the Barossa Valley, which is basically what we're sampling. Mm-hmm. $25, expressive, treated type with a lustrous fragrance of blueberries, red currants, blood plums, and red flowers lifted by a sense of paprika and spice. It's luscious, juicy, with a delightful core of divine black and blue fruits. So that's uh, pretty good. You can find that uh, directly at Gourmet Traveler and Wine. Decanter's a good pub, uh, uh, a periodical. Oh, yeah. Uh, talking a lot about uh, the Rioja, Ribera, Rueda. Adventures in Spain. You may not be able to get to Spain lately, um, but ladies and gentlemen, boy, some of the best wines for the best value that is around. And then finally, Bon Appetit. Uh, you know, always talking about uh, food and wine pairings uh, there, the uh, talking about uh, the various uh, Rieslings and stuff that go with Asian food. Uh, and we certainly should get to that uh, at time. Thai is great. Uh, so get some of that hot spicy with the sweet. Right, uh, uh, yeah. Jim? I think you, you want me to bring a that. nice mentally driven uh, uh, Riesling wine and, and with some sushi? Ah, some. wow. You don't have to ask me twice. I had sushi with my kids. We did that for our birthday. We did teppanyaki for my birthday. Ooh, that's, oh, that's a fun place. A little teppan uh, over at, uh, where do we do that at? I don't know. It was the first day that was unmasked, by the way. What did you say? Riesling with sushi instead of sake, huh? Well, uh, Riesling's a little bit better with sushi only because the sake hits you too hard. So sake comes yep. in at like 17 to 20. And well, no, it's actually 15 to 15 and a half. Is that what it is? Yeah. Okay. It, I mean, you, it you always can, seems You can get hot. a fortified one, which I think is ridiculous. Uh, the fortified ones get up to about 16 or 17. But it's you can use, assume it's going to be about a 15 to 15 and a half, so, which is still pretty potent. If the thing is you, you think it's white, so it's going to be like 12, 13. No, it's higher than that. Uh, but... The cold sakis are wonderful, delicate. They have the, some of the same elements going on as as a as a white wine, and you there are some there that are just so ephemeral. I mean, they just float on 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 your palate, 
and they just enhance this. So there's no way I wouldn't wouldn't love doing sushi with with a sake because I do it a lot. But Riesling is is my second choice, and you're absolutely right because if you're doing a a German Riesling, it's it's going to be about eight and a half nine percent. <clears throat> so or Gewürztraminer, the old yeah. Gewürz coming right. in about 12, 13. How about some uh, Rieslings next week here in the Spirits of New Mexico? We'll do that with Jim and Eric. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Thanks for wrapping the week right here in Akiva. AM 1600 KIVABQ.FM, rockoftop.com.